a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, I ask, then has God rejected his people? Of course not. For I too am a child of Israel, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah? How he pleased with God against Israel. Hence, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall? Of course not. But through their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is enrichment for the world, and if their diminished number is enrichment for the Gentiles, how much more their full number? I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not become wise in your own estimation. A hardening has come upon Israel in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in, and thus all Israel will be saved. As it is written, <clears throat> the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. In respect to the gospel, there are enemies on your account, but in respect to election, they are beloved because of the patriarch. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. The word of the Lord. The Lord will not abandon his people. Bless the man whom you instruct, O Lord, whom by your law you teach, giving him rest from evil days. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor abandon his inheritance, but judgment shall get again be with justice and all the upright of heart shall follow it. Were not the Lord my help, my soul will soon dwell in the silent grave. When I say my foot is slipping, your mercy, O Lord, sustains me.
Dominus Vobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, give your place to this man. And then you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place, so that when the host comes to you, he may say, my friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Verbum Domini. Today, the church celebrates the feast of St. Charles Borromeo, the patron saint of bishops, catechists, cardinals, seminarians, and spiritual leaders. And he is perhaps best known for his work of reform during a period after the Protestant Reformation, commonly known as the Catholic Counter-Reformation. And while it is unfortunate that the church underwent such a turbulent time of confusion and disunity, it is important to remember that the church was indeed in need of reform. There were serious issues among the clergy <clears throat> as some of them were engaged in scandalous behaviors and were too comfortable with their own vice and luxury. And the laity had also become lax in morality and Christian charity had grown cold overall. There was a need to address the situation which ran contrary to an authentic Christian witness. Unfortunately, the Protestant Reformation not only sought to reform disciplines and practices in the church, but it all eventually led to a rupture between different factions of Christians over matters of doctrine. And as the Reformation spread throughout Europe, it was not merely a theological movement, but a political one as well. And in response to the Protestant Reformation, St. Charles Borromeo contributed to the Catholic Counter-Reformation. And there were several saints who also contributed to this movement, including Saints John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola, and Francis de Sales. They not only pursued personal conversion and holiness, but also enacted reforms in their respective religious institutes while remaining faithful to the magisterium, the Pope and the bishops united to the Pope. It was crucial to the counter-reformers that they preserve unity in the church by remaining fully united with the vicar of Christ on earth. Any effective reform in the church 
is carried out in this manner, under the guidance and direction of the magisterium. And St. Charles Borromeo was born into wealth as he belonged to the Milanese nobility and was related to the powerful Medici family. And in fact, his uncle, who was a member of the Medici family, was elected Pope Pius IV while Charles was in his early 20s. And since nepotism was more common at the time, Charles benefited from his uncle's position as the Supreme Pontiff, and he received certain favors from the Pope, such as being created a cardinal deacon while he was still in minor orders, and being appointed as the papal secretary. And such wealth and privileges usually have a deleterious effect on a person and may lead them into sin or moral laxity. But St. Charles, on the other hand, did not succumb to sinful pride, nor was he enamored by these benefits that he received. Instead, he persevered in Christian virtue and charity as he fulfilled his duties faithfully and zealously. He was ordained a priest in 1563 and then was ordained a bishop four months later. <clears throat> he was appointed as the bishop of, Archbishop of Milan in 1564 where there was a need to address the moral corruption that was going on there. And St. Charles assisted with the reconvening of the Council of Trent in 1562 after it had been suspended for 10 years. And this council helped to reaffirm the perennial doctrine of the church after the upheaval following the Protestant Reformation. Charles oversaw the publishing of the Catechism of the Council of Trent, also known as the Roman Catechism, so that the teaching of the council could be presented in an ordinary, or, orderly fashion. And the current Catechism of the Catholic Church, published in, in 1992, is influenced by the Roman Catechism and makes numerous references to it. And it's important to note that Charles Borromeo maintained a humble spirit even as he was carrying out all these significant reforms in the church. In fact, in a biography written about St. Charles by Margaret Yao, there is a current, there is a conversation between Charles and a bishop that highlights the, the saint's true spiritual desire. Regarding Charles' sanctity, Don Bartholomew, who was the Archbishop of Braga, says to Charles' uncle, Pope Pius IV, quote, you can begin your reformation of the cardinals on this young man. If all the princes of the church were like Cardinal Borromeo, I should have proposed them as models of reform instead of their needing it. So this quote not only conveys the holiness of Charles, but it also indicates the sad state of the clergy at the time. And Charles was fond of Don Bartholomew and confided in him his immense desire to just leave all of this behind, all of his duties, and to flee to a monastery. He thought that this would help him to escape all temptation so that he might more easily avoid sin and remain faithful to God. And Don Bartholomew, counseled St. Charles and said to him, do not ask which is the safest way, but what is the will of God? You will do harm to the church if you desert your posts. If you love the world, I should say, flee from it. But you do not love it. 
God has called you to reform the church. Finish the work you have begun. And although this was, of course, not the answer Charles wanted to hear, he ultimately accepted the task that was entrusted to him, and he continued to contribute to the reform of the church. And there is one story about an order that Charles reformed, that helped reform, that communicates the extent of the saint's mercy. As the protector of the order of the humiliati, he instituted some reforms for the Institute's members. And while many of the members accepted the reforms and tried to implement them, others rebelled against him. And they went so far as to band together and to even plot his assassination. An appointed assassin fired a gun at Charles as he was kneeling at the altar. And initially, Charles thought that the bullet had penetrated him and that he had been mortally wounded. And so he began to prepare himself for death. However, it turns out that the bullet had not even penetrated his clothes and had only left a slight swelling on his skin underneath. And after the assassination attempt, Charles begged that the assassin and his accomplices be shown mercy, shown clemency, and that they do not suffer the death penalty. He did not want to see them put to death, even though they tried to kill him. Unfortunately, his appeals for mercy were denied, and the assailants were tortured and put to death. There is so much more that can be said about the reforms that St. Charles enacted that they cannot be all included in one homily. He was a church official who truly believed in the message of the gospel and sought to live it faithfully despite <clears throat> all the privileges and benefits he enjoyed. He contributed most of his wealth to the poor and had even tried to feed 60 to 70,000 people daily during the plague and famine of 1576. He is a model of true reform, a saint who did not point the finger at others or, or accuse them of being the problem. He did not succumb to the temptation to constantly be negative and to accuse others of sin. Instead, he reformed the church by pursuing personal holiness, remaining united to the church's magisterium and seeking to put into practice the teachings of Jesus in his own life, you know, to lead by example. And so may we all learn from the humble example of St. Charles Borromeo so that we all might contribute in our own way to the ongoing reform of the church in our own time.